Hey there guys, welcome back to the Blowing Cartridges podcast, E3 Spectacular. I am one of your lovely co-hosts, Zach Clark, joined as always by Brendan Tam. Brendan, how is your E3 going? Are you happy, excited, loving all the games you're going to spend money on, or crippling upset, or do you not want to reveal it and wait till later in the show to talk about your your feelings? Well, I, I guess all I'll say for now, Zach, is that I am hungry. Hungry to kill chaos. Oh, that's that's some that's some hot memes right off the presses there. So, you know, from between chaos in Sonic the Hedgehog and chaos in Final Fantasy Origins, it's we're we're loving chaos here. And speaking of chaos, it's not just you and me this time. We've got a guest after a few weeks or a few episodes of no guests, uh, and this time a returning guest. I think I think the first time we've had a guest yep. return on the show. So. It's a, it's a special occasion, yes. Yeah, we want to welcome back Luke, who has been on our previous episode talking about uh, sort of game prices and the collecting. Uh, so, Luke, welcome. How are you? Yeah, hey, I'm good. It's uh, nice to be bl- back to blow some more cartridges. Yes, and you're here for a very exciting uh, time of year. The the time of year gamers always look forward to, which was absent last year, which is which is the E3 week. Where you know most companies, not all, and we'll get into that, come and announce you know their new games coming out for the next you know year, two years, sometimes games that won't come out for seven, eight years, or ever come out for that matter. That's right. E three has is just happened. For context, it's sort of the Thursday after E three finished here that we're recording, and yeah, we just figured you know we, while we do tend to keep our cartridges more focused on general topics we just wanted to do something a bit more exciting for e3 uh, and if you haven't already just a reminder you can go back to one of our first episodes talking about what e3 is and why we love it so much it's worth giving that a listen from last year before jumping into this episode particularly if you don't know what e3 is because that episode we went into detail about what that conference is and we don't want to rehash that now we want to get straight into a bit of a recap of not a recap of the show but more a recap of our feelings of the show because sort of in line with what we talked about last year this is the first e3 that was done not in person so no physical convention held in la as there usually is no audiences in the crowds all the you know usual press conferences replaced with online directs and uh shows of that nature which we saw a lot of last year, but just not condensed into a single week like it was this year. Uh, so first off, I guess I wanted to see how you guys sort of were feeling about just the lack of a physical show, given that we don't typically go to the physical show anyway, right? We're usually watching from home. So in some ways, it's not that different, but it does have some slight differences as well. Uh, so Brendan, I might throw it to you first. How are you, were you missing the crowds yelling and screaming over... Uh, Xbox exclusive number 23 as a CG cutscene. <laughs> well, I prefer Xbox exclusive uh, CG trailer for number 29. I think that was a much better trailer. But honestly, I think it all felt a bit flat for me. I really think that one of the big draw cards of E3 traditionally and historically was that it was all centralised in the same venue and you had buying from all the large publishers. And I think... Yes, in previous years, more recent years, we've seen a lot of major publishers move away from E3, like Sony in most recent times, like, and that was very clearly seen this week that's just passed where Sony 
didn't really announce anything. They had a few announcements just before the E3 week, but it's nothing like their traditional conferences they used to host. And and in a similar vein, Nintendo have abandoned having a in-person conference for many, many years now. But I guess they've always shown that you don't necessarily need to have that in-person conference to still make an impact in E3 week. But I think overall, it just felt really disjointed this year and there didn't really seem to be any cohesion with, I won't really call them conferences, any of the video presentations. They all were scattershot. Some of them were just bizarre wastes of time. Others were sort of just sort of wrong place, wrong time sort of things like the 2K one. There was the Namco Bandai one where I actually don't really know what was going on in it, but (laughs) they just sort of talked about this one game they published in. Didn't even have any of their main games like Tales or all those games they have coming out. It was just focused on this one niche title that I don't even know what it's called off the top of my head. It it was that unmemorable. And, And then to kick it all off, you had the Summer's Games Fest, which was really just an attempt by Jeff Keighley to to pull the rug out of the ESA and just say, oh, well, I can do my own event. Who needs E3? So I have found it a really interesting week, and I think it has more to say about how the rise of technology, streaming, and the ability for anyone to have their own video conference that has just simply undermined the actual need to have this main, I guess, convention, main trade show where everyone gets together. It's sort of, it's become redundant, and I think that's a bit of a sad thing. Mm, what about you, Luke? Did you, you know, happy to not see a Forza car show up on stage or a real car, I should say? Um, happy that, or, or were you missing that kind of spectacle that the the real live shows tended to have? Uh, well, I liked it overall. The main difference is, as a viewer, well, that there's no difference because I can't go to E3, so I'm just watching all the live streams from previous years. And this year, I'm just still watching all the live streams, or most of them anyway, so there's not much of a difference from my perspective, but I listen to podcasts like Game Informer and MinMax, and they were talking about how different it is for them not being able to attend and talk to developers and make all their own content for it. As just a normal viewer, it's been perfectly fine, I think. Yeah, I think I tend to agree... A lot of my issues with this year's E3 probably don't stem from it being online necessarily. It stems from the content, I guess, developers chose to present, which we can get into a bit afterwards. But the actual online presentations, I thought, were all right. Like, obviously, Nintendo has a damn pat. They've been doing it for years. I think, you know, Ubisoft and Microsoft, regardless of what you thought of the games they showed off, I think they did a great job at making it feel like you know, a normal E3 conference just without the, mm. the stage and the crowd. And then, as you mentioned and touched on, we also had the Summer Games Fest, which, again, felt very much in line with, like, a, a Game Awards or just some sort of no-name brand, <laughs> I guess, set of announcements pulled together, albeit some big ones, um, that Jeff Keighley pulled off. Yeah, just with heaps and heaps of sponsorship. Did you guys notice it was sponsored by Amazon? Yep, Amazon Games, uh download that big MMO that's coming out or whatever it is. And then, like, Smite sponsored it, Paladin sponsored it. It, it was just full of sponsorships, like, which I found quite jarring in many ways. Yeah. In fact, before we move on, I just want to quickly touch on Summer Games Fest and its part in this whole week, because it's pretty interesting in my mind. 
Uh, like last year, some of the Game Fest kind of came out of a need, I suppose, for announcements to be made given there was no E3 and again it was sort of fresh off COVID happening but in my mind what it amounted to last year wasn't even really any sort of event but just a website and a banner that events kind of operated under and sometimes not even directly like the website would just have events like oh here's that you know Nintendo Partners mini showcase which I'm sure Nintendo did not tell Jeff about in advance and was just announced on Twitter but he would add it to their sort of schedule as a event occurring in summer about games and this year it was interesting because it's now sort of come head to head with E3 where he feels more like he's actively trying to take on the ESA as you said Brendan and pulled together a, a bit more of a show uh, with announcements that sort of kicked off last week but that said I think it, unfortunately for Jeff most people would still just called the whole thing E3 like people were telling you know Thursday night oh you're getting up at 4am to watch the E3 kickoff and I'm like uh, I'm not, for starters, uh, getting up at that time to watch it, but, I, you know, it's it's technically not aligned to E3 at all. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on what this means for E3 going forward. Is Summer Games Fest going to take over, or is it just going to continue to be this, this sideshow that tries to run sort of off the back of E3 as it continues in a, hopefully, a physical presence next year? Uh, I think Jeff Keighley is pretty good. Like his Game Awards show, I watch every year. But his uh, Summer of Games Fest thing just kind of seems a bit. It's him trying to get everyone involved. None of the big publishers seem very interested in him. Where the good thing about E3 is it's basically everyone all within the space of a week announcing everything, and then it's easy just to kind of get it over with. You've got all the exciting stuff happening, and then you know everything, and then it's done. Where with his Summer Games Fest last year, which is kind of understandable, it was just all spread out. And then this year, he's just kind of trying to take ownership of everything, even though it's not his. Yeah, I think in many ways, I see similarities between Jeff Keighley's Summer Games Fest and the PC gaming show that's popped up in the last, oh, probably last four or five or maybe even six E3s. Who actually runs um, the PC gaming show, Zach? I think it's AMD are either a major sponsor or running it from memory, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, but I guess, I think you're right. I think it is AMD, but just in many ways, it has a lot of similarities to what Jeff is trying to do in that it just got together sort of a disparate group of developers and publishers. And it's just sort of, he's a game announcement. He's another game announcement. Of course, Jeff tries to make it a bit more of a show, like he gets Weezer, like no, no one actually wanted the Weezer there, but anyway, he gets <laughs> Weezer to perform. He gets the Prague Philharmonic Orchestra to play sonic music, of all things. And, like, he, he tries to make it into, like, a big show, a big event like Game Awards is. So, it, it's very much that model. But I think it doesn't really work as well as the Game Awards does. And I, I don't see it having that much longevity because the whole point about the Game Awards is, like, yes, you have trailers, you have some game announcements, but it's more of a celebration of gaming of the last 12 months like that's why they give out all those awards for different categories and the like that's the point of the show whereas summer's games fest seemed just like a a marketing tool like like i mentioned previously you had all the sponsorships that were shoved down your throat and you had some game announcements here and there but it just didn't really feel compelling to me what what did you think zach yeah i agree i mean a lot of people say about the game awards like people just come for the trailers but i think this really highlights that i don't think that's accurate i think the awards 
underpin a lot of that show and the trailers and announcements are kind of like exciting mm. and I, I go for them, but they're not, they're not enough on their own in some regards, particularly because it's just so hard to know what kind of stuff you're going to get. Because at least, you know, with, uh, say, Microsoft, you know what to expect from Microsoft. Like, there are certain franchises, certain games that are possibly going to show up because Microsoft makes those and owns them. With Summer Games Fest, uh, even the Game Awards, it's hard to predict. You can guess based on you know past uh, developers and companies that have partnered with uh, Jeff what's going to show up again, but it's it's not necessarily going to be consistent. That said, you know, with, with what he did, uh, I think he did an all right job, and he definitely pulled off one of the bigger announcements of the show, if we're being honest, with um, the Elden Ring at the end. So you have to give him some credit as, as someone who isn't a massive company and he's managed to coordinate and effectively ruin what that Bandai Namco event could have been by stealing their big two big games in, in Tales and, uh, and Elden Ring for his show, sort of at least made it somewhat worthwhile, I suppose, to, to run. But, I mean, the alternative is what would have happened if he didn't, and I would have thought that that means either Bandai Namco would have still made the same announcements just in their own show, or they would have handed them off to, to Microsoft or another company uh, to shove into their events. Um, so whether it would have changed the quantity or the types of games we were seeing, probably not all that much, I would have thought. I agree. I think there were some indie games, like, well, one of my highlights was Metal Slug Tactics, which was announced in the Summer Games Fest, and there were some other indie titles as well that I think wouldn't have got as much airtime as they did if they weren't in the Summer's Games Fest. So it was definitely a good venue for those games, but I definitely echo your sentiments as I just ranted about for a couple of minutes yeah and speaking of highlights maybe now's a good time to start to talk about some of the highlights of the show maybe like our top three either at moments or announcements and just to be clear for the viewer we're going to take the the layman's view of of what e3 was and actually include summer games first kickoff last week at the start and then sort of end it with the bandai namco event that uh brendan also <laughs> alluded to not that i think that's going to be a highlight for any of us i, I just remembered the game is called house of ash and it was also detailed in the summer game fest as well so they they really did just reiterate on what was already announced but for some reason they focused 15 minutes on this one game the House of Ash is clearly, you know, the next big thing from Bandai Namco. No other game they're making could be as good, so that's why they've done it. <laughs> but yeah, let's let's talk. So we're going to count all the way up to then. We know that EA's got an event coming up. Very likely Sony's going to have an event coming up, um, and we're not counting their Horizon event from a few weeks ago. Uh, and we obviously know there's a Call of Duty event coming as well at some point, but really just, you know, this past week. And the second Nintendo event, Zach, that will announce the Switch Pro. It's coming. Yeah, the Switch. Yep. I mean, yep. There's probably going to be a tweet at like 11 o'clock on a Wednesday or Thursday or something like that on July the, the 3rd or something. I don't know. Uh, if I'm right, somebody's going to buy me something. Someone's going to buy me a Switch Pro. I'm calling it now. But yeah, we're, we're really just focused on what was kind of the quote unquote E3 week. And I might throw to Luke first for what was a, a highlight for you in this past week. First highlight that I thought was really surprising, kind of on a smaller scale, was uh, the new Life is Strange that was shown uh, at the Xbox show, which is Life is Strange 2 Colors. I'm a real fan of that series and I'm looking forward to it. But then during the Nintendo Direct, they announced that that's also coming to Switch and the Life is Strange Remastered collection 
because that's um like the first Life is Strange came out in the Wii U days, so it's understandable why that didn't come out. But yeah, that's the first Life is Strange on a Nintendo system. So because when um True Colors launches, I'll be uh, traveling, so. I was trying to work out how I was going to stream it from my Xbox to my phone, but now I'll just buy it on my light and play it that way. Yeah, I'm pretty excited as well. I I haven't played a Life is Strange game since the first one. Partly it's just because of that. um, I don't know if I've got my save file set up properly to carry over (laughs) to Life is Strange and all that stuff. Maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe I can just select the option. Um, But I'm definitely, I think, going to get True Colors because it looks like a bit of a, a separate story. And it looks like a fun one. Uh, I like a good detective, small town kind of story. So it definitely appealed to me. You know, I love the art style of it. Like, I haven't played a Life is Strange game yet. I I have the first game, of course. We all know about my legendary backlog at this point. But <laughs> it's definitely a series I really want to get into. So no doubt I'll buy the Switch collection. I'll buy True Colors with the intention of playing them. And they'll add to my backlog. So stay tuned, folks. Out of interest, Luke, when the uh, Switch trailer started, what did you like me think it might have been like a uh, I don't know, like a Final Fantasy Pocket Edition kind of scenario where it wasn't going to be fully three D and they'd actually done like a I don't know an animated or two D art style version or did you or was it you knew that it was just going to become a, a normal Life is Strange game once once the animation bit ended? Well, I was very confused at first because I almost instantly knew it was Life is Strange just from kind of the music and the look of it. But then it went into that kind of cartoony look. And then I was really confused. Of, like, is this something new that they're doing just for the Switch? And then, um, no, they just showed that it was the remastered collection coming. But it was an interesting thing that they did. Yeah, it definitely threw me off a little because I, I think I was the same as you. As soon as the like slide comes up and there was that lighthouse and yeah, and the train. Yeah, I'm like, that's life is strange. But then the animation started. I'm like, oh, is this like a spin-off? Then all three characters were there. I'm like, what, what is this? And then it just yeah went into that. And I'm like, oh, okay, well <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think they only did that so they could have Max, Chloe, and whatever the new character is all together on that train because like uh, in yeah. in like the actual games they're not in the same game. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. So, yeah. And Brendan, what about you? Is a, You mentioned sort of briefly a highlight. I don't know if that's the one you want to delve into or if there's other ones you want to want to give us details of. Oh, I'm going to have to start with that one, Zach. It, it has got to be Stranger in Paradise Final Fantasy Origin. That was such a <laughs> highlight because one of my favorite things about E3 has always been the moments that just don't quite work, the moments that just go down in history and sort of what were they thinking? What, why would they have a trailer like that? Why would they present things like that? And Square Enix is a frequent offender in this category. Square Enix have a history of having very strange press conferences. Like there was one in 2015, I believe it was, where you had Yoko Taro, the near guy with his helmet on stage, sort of wandering around talking about, near automata you had everyone at the very end of the conference just standing there applauding as the same game play just kept on looping on these massive screens and the phenomenon that's occurred over the last week due to final fantasy origin which was honestly not a very good trailer at all i haven't actually seen anyone talk positively about the trailer in a non-ironic way but i just like how 
moments like that bring people together and people can have a good laugh about it because the most generic character the Square Enix has ever made called Jack, very fittingly, they chose a very generic name for their very generic <laughs> character. Just he, he just wants to kill chaos. He's he's a simple man with a simple desire, and I think that's a good thing. I think that that's something that should be celebrated. I'm here to kill chaos. <laughs> you know, it definitely was the most, I don't know, yeah, like crazy weird E3 thing. Like it's, it had all the elements, right? It was rumoured slash leaked, whatever you want to call it, a few days before. Mm. The description sounded honestly quite good. You know, a Final Fantasy game with a Dark Souls style gameplay set in the world of Final Fantasy 1, which sort of draws your your mind to the artwork for Final Fantasy 1 and what a world could have looked like. And then, yep, <laughs> here's this. And it certainly might have been one of the worst sort of <laughs> outcomes we could have got, if I'm being honest. It's Ninja Gaiden 3 with the Final Fantasy overlay. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, and that said, I have heard maybe it's not as bad. Some people have played the demo. The demo, which admittedly uh, originally was corrupt and didn't work, think this week when it first went live <laughs> that capped it off for me honestly the fact is like oh there is a demo live now everyone flocked to their ps5 to download the demo and then it's just oh the file's corrupted it won't download oh, that's so funny just the demo being broken <laughs> it's such a square enix thing honestly would any other publisher pull that off yeah, maybe they forgot that this year's E3 was going to be online and, and the whole world would get to play and it wouldn't be a, a bunch of journos who are, are kind of used to the bugs and stuff and yet the PR person sort of walking them through, please don't publish this in your article kind of thing. So, yeah, no, it was definitely a... It, it, I think it created by far some of the most meme-worthy stuff for this E3, which is definitely a, um, a highlight, uh, I think, for the show. So I have to agree with you there, Brendan. What's your highlight that sticks to your mind, Zach? Uh, look, if we're going to do a few, I'm going to try and not just do Nintendo games because <laughs> it would be pretty easy for me to do that. To be honest, as much as it's not a game I'm probably personally interested in, I think the Elden Ring announcement, which mm-hmm. I touched on before, was a big highlight for a few reasons. One, there was the, the meme since last year's Game Awards that uh, Jeff was in uh, Gamer Jail for not having Elden Ring at the show. Uh, and he got to play into that quite a bit, which I always find, you know, enjoyable. But also it just was kind of like the perfect announcement for the fans, right? It was gameplay, it was a release date, and a, quite a just a good-looking trailer by all means, even as someone who doesn't like, you know, From Software-style games personally. I can get hype watching that. I can see why that's an exciting announcement. And just to see the reactions of everyone, I think it was such a quintessential e3 sort of style moment which everyone i think is is gonna remember for years to come i suppose if you think back on e3 moments it's always moments like that that people remember seeing the major games that people expect will be blockbusters and i think we can all rest assured that elden rings will be a good game i don't think from software have released a mediocre subpar game for a very very long time mostly They've been hitting it out the park constantly, and I am quite confident Elden Rings will be no different, even though I'm like you, Zach. I've never really gotten into a Souls game. I played a bit of Dark Souls, and it just didn't really grab me. Bought the port on the Switch and 
haven't got really into that yet, but I, it's one of my goals to just play through that and see if I do like the formula because I like the concept of it. I like the idea and I really want to... Watching that Elden Rings trailer does make me hyped, even though it's not necessarily a game I'm going to be there day one on. How about yourself, Luke? What do you think of Souls games? Do they strike your fancy or not really? Uh, well, I've got the Dark Souls amiibo, like the Praise the Sun guy, whatever <laughs> his name is, but I think I've played Dark Souls 1 or 2 uh, for like five minutes once, but I'm really not interested in those games. And I haven't really paid attention to any of the Elden Ring news. I hope it's good for the people that like it. Out of curiosity, Zach, what, what do you think makes those announcements so satisfying? Like, cause, Because I guess as we alluded to, it's it's a game that people have hyped up, yes, but it's also a game that people expect will come out and people expect will be good. I guess what makes us want to see more of it? What makes us like think that, oh, the Summer Games Fest finished with Elden Rings, that was such a good finish, it made the show worth watching. What, what creates those feelings, do you think? I think it's a big combination of factors i think one is obviously the pedigree right when it's from a studio which has a a strong pedigree that's that's tick number one alternatively from a franchise that has a strong pedigree i mean from software is kind of interesting where it's almost like it's it is the studio that has the pedigree versus say something like a zelda where most people couldn't tell you which nintendo team makes zelda uh, other than just calling it the zelda team but the zelda name is what is the pedigree so there's that. But then I think it's also the time between the last sort of update to now is a big part of it, right? Like, it, it's not that we've been getting regular feeds of, of decent information. It's that we haven't heard anything about this game in two years, or at least I think since the E3 2019. And that's probably because of COVID, if we're being honest. But, you know, despite that, people were getting hungry. Um, You know, From Software had a pretty good track record of announcing a game at an E3 and releasing it sort of early the year after. So this is one of the few times in, a, in recent memory that they've had an announcement with such a big gap to launch. So I think just that fever for wanting to see more just built and built and built, and that's what really tipped it off for this, for this E3. And then you just combine it with, I think, a lot of other games not uh, having release dates. You know, there are other games that kind of fall into that Elden Ring category on the horizon. Um, you know, there's stuff like Perfect Dark for Xbox or God of War Ragnarok for, for PlayStation, Breath of the Wild or Metroid Prime 4 for for uh, Nintendo. But none of them got like a, we're coming out this specific date, which isn't all that far away. They're all either 2022 or no date at all. And I, I think... Having that like tangible date, even if it might get delayed, does a lot for people uh, in terms of getting them hyped because they can sort of mark it on the calendar and start counting down the the days. But yeah, Brendan, what's the let's move on. Next highlight from you is it another meme one, or have you got something that you're actually excited to play? <laughs> I've got to be there day sort of five hundred and fifty five for Stranger in Paradise Zach when it's sort of in the bargain bins at E B games. <laughs> I can get a copy for like ten bucks. So I I'll be there, I'll play that game. But <laughs> seriously, I think you were both in the Discord chat for another castle, Heroes of Play or whatever Dave renamed it to these days. And you all saw my reaction when Advance Wars one and two reboot camp was announced. I had a bit of a meltdown and honestly 
Advance Wars isn't a series that I've actually played that much of. Like I've I have all the games except the first GBA one, which I've played the first GBA one as well. I really got into Jewel Strike on the DS for a bit, never finished it. But I guess for the most part it was more I always had a love of intelligent systems because of their work on Fire Emblem and I by proxy really got into Advance Wars as well, even though not quite as much as Fire Emblem and it's one of those forgotten Nintendo franchises that I think most Nintendo fans never really expected to see revived. And just that moment where, like, from the moment they started showing it and they were talking about the Orange Star Army and, like, they started showing um, clips of it, you could tell it was Advance Wars. And, like, it just, it was a fantastic moment for me in that it's something I did not expect at all. I never thought it would ever happen. And I think part of the appeal for E3 for me is is those moments because I could have said Metroid Dread and I one of you two might say that as well and that is a game I'm very excited for. I really liked Samus Returns and we'll probably talk more in depth about it later in this episode but we all kind of had an inkling that a 2D Metroid was going to happen. There was a lot of rumours about it. Mercury Steam had gone silent for a bit and we, we knew they were developing something and it made sense mm. after their previous game with Nintendo. So it was like, it was, it was a surprise. It was definitely a surprise. It was Metroid Dread and not another remake, but it wasn't sort of completely out of left field as advanced wars was. And that is why it was a highlight for me. That's why I had a bit of a meltdown because it was a great moment. Personally, I, I've already pre-ordered the game at Amazon and <laughs> I will break my trend and actually play it when it releases. I won't add it to the backlog instantly. So that is high praise from Brendan Tam, I can tell you. Yeah. <laughs> I've never actually played an Advance Wars game before, but I, I remember like back in the day when uh, Advance Wars Dual Strike was new, I was constantly on the GameFAQs message boards and there was a lot of talk about that and other friends playing it as well, but... Uh, I'm not sure why I never tried it back then, but I suppose I'm just not super interested in that kind of game. Yeah, I I have I've only Advance Wars I own and have played is the before this I guess the most recent one being Days of Ruin, which is kind of the weird, dark, gritty one that I think has some weird sort of release element in Japan as well. It's kind of like almost like a, a not sort of linked one to the main series, but still quite fun. Because it was just one of those things where I was starting to get my own income working part-time at a game store, wanted to finally jump into you know the series uh, and give it a whirl, and that was the latest one, plus had no ties to the previous game, so I thought, great place to jump in. Um, little did I know it would be the last opportunity to jump in for, for quite some time. So I'm really excited. I'm keen to to see a uh, sort of fresh version of, of where it all started, or kind of, I know, I know technically it started on on the NES with Famicom Wars, but, you know, at least the advanced element uh, or advanced uh, part of the series uh, started and uh, experienced that for the first time. Uh, I think it's cool that WayForward's the developer. I think, you know, we've said for a while it would be great for Nintendo to engage more indie studios to develop the many, many franchises they're not touching. Uh, and I think it gives me a bit of hope that this is not going to be the only one you know uh, nintendo look at look at shinen uh, look at fast <laughs> you know put two and two together that is promising and as far as remakes go the fact that they're bundling one and two together as well i think is very very uh smart you know it's not 
uncommon for Nintendo just to be like, oh, Game Boy game redone, full price and just by itself. So so a bundle is is very much welcome. And as you said, Brendan, I think to me it's it's that acknowledgement of a series that many thought was dead, a series they loved, a series that I think the you know developer intelligence systems have kind of made comments about not really f- knowing how to bring it back as well in the past, which is uh, something we've seen a lot of from Nintendo and Nintendo sort of related developers. So the fact that it's actually come to fruition is very exciting. And let's just hope it it evolves new, if not a um, remake of Advance Wars Dual Strike, at least a, a new Advance Wars would be even better from from way forward now that they've cut their teeth on the on this remake. So I'll, I'll be with you there, day one, buying it. Uh, we can battle online, and I'll probably lose to you with your much more uh, veteran strategy game player brain, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> and I got, before we move away to your hot highlights, Zach, I've got to ask, what do you guys think of the art style? Because it's been quite divisive amongst fans across the internet if you go on Twitter and message boards and the like that a lot of people don't like the art style, which I've got to say, I actually quite, I think it quite suits the game. Yes, it's not the pixel art of the originals, but I think it, it suits the vibe and character of the game. Yeah, as someone that's not a fan, I thought it looks just fine. I heard uh, people on other podcasts saying that they would have preferred to see kind of upscaled original pixel art, but the the remake, I think, looks good enough. I would, you know, those graphics wouldn't stop me from playing it. Yeah, I, I like it. Uh, I was watching some uh, footage on Treehouse Live actually just before on, on my TV and not watching something live and, and watching it in high def, I think it actually pops quite well. I think I like the toy style. Certainly like the uh, classic way forward animation of the, uh, what are they called? Are they called commanders or? Generals, yeah. Generals, there we go. Uh, so I, that was very good. I can see why people wouldn't like it. It isn't everyone's taste. It's sort of like Link's Awakening when that was remade. I think while lots of people loved it, there was definitely a, a contingent of the fan base that didn't uh, and they would have preferred something uh, else i don't know what but something else uh so i, I can understand it I, I wonder if this will probably though appeal better to people who haven't played it particularly younger people um compared to say having an octopath traveler style pixel sort of art it's sort of hard to say because with minecraft being as popular as it is uh maybe the youngins do like voxel sort of art more than <laughs> these kind of toy style graphics let's say but to me it, it certainly worked well but yeah if we want to jump into one of my highlights is this uh, one you're actually going to play yes yes i'll do one that i'm going to play as well (laughs) um unlike elden ring and i'm gonna go with i'm tossing up between two but i think i am going to go with what you just talked about metroid dread and again it's an interesting one because while i'm not the biggest metroid fan uh not through lack of trying but just um i didn't grow up with metroid you know nintendo 64 didn't have metroid gamecube uh, i did have prime but i've never been a big fps or first person i should say player fan so the first metroid i finished to completion was other m and i enjoyed it but uh, i think that probably takes away my metroid fan card rather than than gives me uh, any credence with the fan base but i think this game again it, it had such perfect elements you did mention, Brendan, there was sort of expectation that there was a 2D Metroid coming, Mercury Steam being quiet, uh, and just some rumors. I think the fact that it's 
Metroid Dread is what made this such an exciting announcement. Because for those who don't know, Metroid Dread is a game that has basically been talked about since well, 15 years ago, something like that, and uh, during the DS era, uh, to the point where it was even uh, sort of hinted at in Metroid Prime 3 Corruption uh, that it was a project almost complete at that point in time, uh, back you know, close to, what, 2006, 2007, um, near the Wii launch. And to see that the game has finally come to fruition, I don't know how similar it is to its original idea. A lot of people that knew the original concept say it actually is quite similar. But to see that happen is, I think, incredibly exciting for not just Metroid fans, but people who are just fans of sort of these old school sort of vaporware slash, you know, rumors from the past. Because it's just nice to see those come to life and in a way that isn't like bad right it's not a duke nukem forever style release where the game finally came out and it was average at best it's it looks like it's going to be a good new entry in the metroid franchise that should live up to uh the name metroid dread the name metroid 5 and what they're toting as the end of a saga being Samus sort of Metroid baby to fusing with Metroid sort of arc that began all the way with the original Metroid on NES. So uh, there's a lot to be excited about. Yeah, I've got to say, I really enjoyed that dev interview with Sakamoto that Nintendo put up just after the conference and just prior to the start of Treehouse and is on their YouTube channel at the moment. It, It goes into a lot of the background story about the development. He talks about how this is the third time they've tried to develop the game because they first started, I think, in the early 2000s and he claims they didn't have the technology to do it then. Then they've rebooted it again by the sounds of it on the DS or around that generation and they've ran into similar issues. And reading between the lines, it seems that after Mercury Steam pulled off Samus Returns, they looked into doing another project and they got put on the Metroid Dread idea and sounds like they've been able to execute it to the standard of what they've been trying to do for nearly 20 years, which is quite exciting in itself. So there's definitely that aspect of it. And I was a huge fan of Mercury Steam's previous Metroid games. So I definitely do think they have the know-how and the tools to succeed. And the trailer and gameplay look quite good. It's a very promising game, I think, and it comes out very soon as well. So I think, as you mentioned with Elden Rings, I think that also builds into the hype as well because it is a game that well many of us will be playing in just over what three four months i assume you'll be adding this to your amiibo collection luke what's your thoughts on metroid dread uh well as for the amiibo i've had a bit of trouble ordering one so far i might have missed out but (laughs) the eb website is being weird and um even in store it's not listed in their system so i need to look into that a bit more but as for the game I don't have a lot of experience with Metroid games. I've heard some of the history about Metroid Dread, and I was just amazed when I watched the direct that it's actually happening. You know, it's unusual enough for them to make a new Metroid game to start with, but for it to actually be Metroid Dread that has been talked about for such a long time, it's um, really good, and uh, I need to see a bit more before I decide to buy it, but I think I'm probably going to play it. Priorities right. Get the amiibo first. Worry about the game it works for later. (laughs) I've done the same for Skyward Sword, so I very much get understand Luke's sentiment there. 
See, I just go in all, all in on everything and add to that <laughs> collection of games I don't touch. Though that said, I probably will touch Metroid Dread when it comes out. But yeah, overall, just a very exciting announcement. Um, as you sort of touched on there, Luke, <laughs> we don't get Metroid games as often as many would like. And it'd be very, very exciting to see this do well. Uh, you know, a lot of franchises have seen success on Switch that they've never seen before. And uh, I know a lot of fans would love to, for Metroid to become a, you know, three or four million dollar seller and really solidify its place in the, the Nintendo sort of Hall of Fame more so than it already has. So, yeah, very keen. Uh, but Luke, what about you? Is uh, You've already talked about a game you're definitely going to play. Do you have another game you're going to play or uh, something else that you just thought was a very cool announcement, whether or not you're going to pick it up yourself or not? Oh, I'm going to play it. Halo Infinite. <laughs> Ooh. It's really weird because they first showed this back in 2019 at E3 and it was going to be a Series X launch title. And uh, then last year they had that like first gameplay demo and everyone hated on it and they like emergency delayed it because I got a Series X at launch and uh, it's extremely good. But the weird thing is there's a Halo all over the Series X box and like there's huge hype for Halo Infinite going in and they even had like advertising deals with like monster energy drinks and I'm pretty sure it was Doritos or something like that as well, that those marketing campaigns actually went ahead and the game's not even out yet. So it's just crazy that they emergency delayed Halo Infinite right before it came out. But anyway, they showed it again uh, at this A3 and it looks so good. I can't wait to play it. I just have to wait until next year before I can. Well, do you? Isn't it? Isn't they? Aren't they saying this year holiday? Uh, uh yeah. Sorry, uh, the end of this year, not next year. <laughs> well, I mean, that's that's something I want to quickly touch on because we've talked about, or at least I've talked about, with my two games, the the release date being firm, or at least a date, uh, and that adds to the hype. Halo Infinite still no date, just a holiday twenty twenty one time frame. Does that? you know, remove from the excitement of all for you or have any sort of concerns given, you know, its history of getting delayed last year already? No, not really. I think putting a date on it now would be too soon anyway because, you know, you don't want it to turn into one of those cyberpunk things of (laughs) we're going to delay it again and again. And again and again. It's best just to leave it as like holiday and then it could be kind of... Uh, around October, November, early December sort of thing. So um, as long as they keep showing us new stuff about it, I can uh, wait for a release date. Yeah, and I think they actually they did show quite a bit as well, which I think was a positive there because they showed the single player, they showed the story elements, which a lot of people like when it comes to Halo. And also what I found quite interesting is they showed the multiplayer and made the announcement that the multiplayer is free to play and I found that quite astounding because there's no real other examples of a major tentpole franchise in the first person shooter genre where the multiplayer which is generally the draw card is generally the main part of the game the generally the part that they monetize the most through you know you buy it for $60 and you buy season passes you buy cosmetics you buy loot boxes Microsoft's view is oh we'll make the multiplayer free 
buying the game will very much be for the single player experience. What what do you two think of that that turning of the tables per se in normal strategy of when it comes to this genre? Uh, I think it's really interesting because uh, Halo is quite an old series now, and I feel like not really that many people care about it anymore. It's just people are more interested in newer games like uh, Call of Duty and Fortnite and whatever other battle royals are happening at the moment. But uh, I really feel that with Halo Infinite, Microsoft needs to make it as best as they possibly can to draw everyone back to Halo, because I love it for the campaign. I never really got into the multiplayer stuff, but it just needs to be as good as it possibly can. And uh, making the multiplayer free-to-play is a really good way to draw people in. Yeah, I, I'm the opposite of Luke in that I, because I didn't really own Xbox consoles till the 360, and as I've said yep. before, I'm not a big FPS fan. But I played a lot of Halo multiplayer in the past, uh, both on PC and then LAN parties with our 360. So, so I own the Halo games more for that than I do for the campaign, even though the story does seem quite interesting. I think I'd actually enjoy it if I just bothered to sit down and put it on very easy mode and plow my way through. Uh, maybe I will one day. So I think the announcement that the multiplayer is free is both exciting, not only because it's free, and that means in theory the player base can be uh, you know, larger than it would be hypothetically when you have to pay for it, notwithstanding it's, it's also on Game Pass as well, so uh, I'm sure that helps with, with the player base a bit in and of itself. But also they've announced, uh, not on stage but afterwards, uh, that the battle passes or whatever you call them, you know, these these things that you get in these FPS online games which you sort of work towards a set of goals in a time frame and if you do it within the time frame you get a bunch of rewards. Apparently, unlike most shooters and, and online multiplayer games where those sort of last a season or a few weeks, they're, they're just going to be there forever for you to pick up and complete and and get whatever the unlockables are, which I think is a much more consumer-friendly way of dealing with that because there's no FOMO, there's no pressure if you're if you're busy this this month uh, or you know with work or whatever, or you're going on a holiday and you're not going to be at home on your Xbox, you know that you can pick up whatever the the you know battle pass is down the track, still complete it, unlock whatever it is, um, and it'll work quite well for Microsoft because they'll still in theory get. Because these things are things you purchase, right? They'll still be able to sell them for whatever it is, ten bucks or, or whatever, uh, and make a lot of money that way. So I, I think it's a really um, nice, more consumer-friendly approach to the Halo multiplayer experience, and it'll be an experience that looks quite fun. I mean, when I watched that trailer uh, for the multiplayer, it doesn't look like they're skimping out on it. There's no shortage of the classic modes that you'd expect. You know, it's got capture the flag, it's got deathmatch. Uh, it's got the skull sort of mode as well. It seems like it's going to be a full-fledged multiplayer package that you would normally get from from a Halo experience. So I think that's also, to me, really reassuring that we're not getting a a rushed-out, watered-down multiplayer mode for, for launch. Definitely. And from that gameplay they showed, it does very much harken back to what makes Halo multiplayer special because... Like yourself, Zach, my experience with the franchise does go back to playing LAN versions of the PC version. Back in the day, Halo had a demo version on PC and somehow someone uploaded it to my high school's intranet and there was many sessions in 
computer labs and the like where people just play Halo for sort of classes on end when we got free time and that sort of thing. So I have many fond memories of Deathmatch and Blood Gulch and Capture the Flag and those classic Halo moments. And that's what Infinite seems to be trying to go for when it comes to the multiplayer. And I think it's quite exciting that it does come out at the end of the year and hopefully the extra or about an extra year of development, right? Hopefully that goes to add a lot to the experience that wouldn't have been there if they had rushed it out the door and had released it as planned for the launch of the Xbox One or Xbox Series X. I'm never going to get that right, am I? (laughs) No. uh, At least they've improved the box art now, so maybe it's a bit clearer. I don't know if you guys saw that, the new uh, Series X and S uh, box art, which is... It's always closer to the Switch with just the little square in the top left corner. Do you guys see that? Yeah, it's just got Xbox and then a Series XS icon on it as well. They used Halo as like the comparison, like this is what it was going to look like, and now it's going to look like this. And then they had like, I think, Flight Simulator and Forza as well. It's, it's not uncommon to get a mid-generational um, change in the box art format. It's just a bit odd that it happened so soon, I guess. Um, but a bit, admittedly... A, not to go on a tangent, but the the original series X and S box art was a bit confusing because it looked just like Xbox One, just without the word one. We can question Microsoft's current marketing strategy until the cows come home. I don't think we'll ever unwrap that one there. No, no, I don't think we will. I might jump back and do my next highlight before we then circle back to the final ones for Brendan and then to you, Luke, to finish off for the highlights. And it's hard. It's hard to know what to go for because there's there's a bunch of games i am going to buy i am going to play but i think i'm going to go for not so much a specific game instead i'm going to go for an event and that was the wholesome direct i don't know if either of you watched the wholesome direct i did oh that's that's good at least at least it's not just me but i you know the wholesome direct is not this isn't the first one i think they did one last year potentially during the summer games fest window i'm not too sure but this is you know effectively a event of indie games pretty much that covered off what they call a wholesome vibe uh which is something that really resonates with me i love you know animal crossing is a quintessential wholesome game harvest moon or story of seasons uh and then you know there's a bunch of of indie games that sort of tick that that bucket as well you know like frog detective made here in melbourne i think is a really good example and that direct was uh, jam packed of some really solid looking games. If that's your your vibe, and it was I think a really well put together production. I think outshone a lot of the the big companies in their presentations. Not necessarily just in terms of content, but in terms of how well edited and, and structured it was. The only gripe I had with it, and it's kind of unfo- unavoidable issue, uh, is that some of the games could blend together a bit. Like as you can imagine. Wholesome games tend to have very colourful or sort of light-hearted art styles. And so a lot of them kind of could blend together a little bit as you're watching trailer after trailer. Lots of cats. Lots and lots of cats. Yeah, I noticed um, there were a lot, a lot of cat thing. games. Yeah, people people like cats. But to see, you know, I think a well-put-together indie presentation with a, a much more focused remit of what they're trying to present rather than just like hey we're indies here's some indie games uh, i think it was really well done and it was you know probably my second favorite conference of the show and i think that that speaks a lot again given your your 
dealing with your Xboxes, your Square Enixes, your, uh, in theory, Take Two. Not that I'm sure their conference was even a conference. Devolvers, it wasn't. Et cetera. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, Luke, what, what did you think it's, since you watched it? Was there any anything about it that stood out to you? Any games from that conference or uh, what did you, yeah, what were your thoughts? Uh, one particular game from the Wholesome Direct that I liked was Lake, and that was also shown in the Future Games show. They had a slightly different trailer and a little bit more information about it, but um, it's kind of like you're a US mail carrier lady in the 80s, oh, yes. and it's kind of story-based. Uh, you're in this like little town, um, and... You've, I think the main uh, gameplay is like you go through the story and make different choices to change what happens. Um, but that looks really good. Um, uh, a demo for it was just released on Xbox and I think maybe also Steam. I downloaded the Xbox One, but I haven't had a chance to play it yet. If the demo is good, I think I'm definitely going to be checking that one out. Yeah, I have to say that particular game, I did think of you for reasons which <laughs> I don't know if you wanted me to go into or not but <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no, I agree. That looks uh, very fun. Like yeah, that idea of just um exploring the town as a as a post person and making connections that way but then I guess clocking off and going to spend time with people or or do activities with them um very very fun. Uh did you check it out at all Brendan? Did you watch the the wholesome direct either live or after the fact? No, I I saw it on the schedule for E3, but I guess I very much prioritise the major ones and like your Microsofts, your Sony's, your Square Enix, your Ubisoft. And the only minor one I watched was Eureka Studios, which is a new Chinese publisher, which I actually found quite interesting and had some interesting looking indie games out of that. So from what you both have said about wholesome games, I, I definitely need to look at this wholesome direct and catch up on it. But I guess probably going to it towards the end of this episode, but for many various reasons, I, I was a, quite a bit disconnected from a lot of the presentations this year. So I missed it, unfortunately. Yeah. I think one of the, I mean, not to deviate too much. I think one of the downsides of um, this year was, because you didn't have like that succession of, of events one after the other, in terms of getting up and watching them in Australia, because almost every event is on at a time we would normally sleep. Um, you know, usually in years past, we'd there'd be one big draw card like an Xbox or a PlayStation or a Nintendo. We'd get up for that and then be like, oh, this is coming up next. Sure, I'll watch it because I'm already here kind of thing. Um, whereas this year, there weren't as many of those tentpole events, so I can understand why some of the smaller stuff it was hard to justify getting up, particularly when we, you know, you don't have the context of what would they even show off because you don't know um, what their goal is. I can quickly highlight a couple of the games just from the Wholesome Direct uh, that I think definitely are worth checking out. Yokai Inn, I think, looked very cool. Um, kind of running a cafe, people, well, yokai, which are like Japanese sort of mythical spirits, come and, um, you know, buy coffee and stuff. Very fun. Uh, Australian-made unpacking. I think I've talked about it before, potentially, but if I haven't on the show, you should definitely check it out. Demo is on Steam. Basically, you follow the life of someone as they move from house to house, from when they're a little kid to an adult, and each time you've got to unpack their boxes and <laughs> fit everything anywhere, which is something I'm uh, playing in real life a lot in the last few weeks, so I can uh, definitely resonate. But it's not only a fun puzzle game, but just seems like it's going to have a very cool little story. And the last one, 
And I think this was also in the X, no, maybe not Xbox. It was in the um, Day of the Devs show, uh, Hot Pot. Oh, no, is it that? No, it's Soup Pot, sorry. Yum. You're making me feel hungry. Yeah, Soup Pot. Yeah, well, it is. You should, because it's basically just a, a cooking game which uh, has no fail state and does teach you recipes and cuisine based on Filipino, uh, Japanese, Korean, and other Southeast Asian cultures which is very cool and they announced that uh it's not only going to have pots but you can also do other types of cooking was their big e3 (laughs) reveal but it looked just very charming and fun uh, and slightly different to other cooking game or cooking theme games like your diner dashes and your overcooks um kind of like a more fleshed out cooking one i would say um anyway those were sort of some of the highlights for me from that uh, event and I, i definitely recommend checking out the event if you haven't and you've got a spare hour or so. Brendan, what about you? Final final highlight. I know there's a lot to choose from and a lot of games you've already pre-ordered, but uh, what's the what's the last moment or, or thing you want to talk about? I've talked about the funniest moment. I've talked about the most surprising moment. So my third one is going to be the one I knew was going to happen, the one I expected, but nonetheless was very satisfying is a game that I'm going to pour hundreds and hundreds of hours into. That's the trailer that Microsoft had of Age of Empires 4. That is probably one of my all-time favorite video game franchises. I love that they've gone back to the formula of the second game, Age of Empires 2, which is my all-time favorite. That's one of the first... It was the first PC game I played that wasn't an edutainment game. It's it will always stand out for that reason. And it is one of the games that really got me into gaming and has really got me to stay in gaming. I, I still play Age of Empires 2 from time to time. It's one of those timeless classics for me personally. And I'm so excited to play Age of Empires 4. It seems like they've done a really great job at capturing the essence of the game. The art style looks fantastic. It still has the base building elements, which in many ways has gone away from the rts genre in recent years so it just has all those elements that i think makes the genre for me makes the series for me so yes we've seen bits of it before they've shown gameplay off last year we knew it was most likely going to come out this year and we have a release date now which is great so it was just all the it just came together for me at the exact right time as i expected but it was still satisfying yeah, I think it was a really well done trailer. I think because the music they had the classic music played in the trailer, and it was quite subtle at moments, but it was great that they added that to the trailer. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I think it was essential uh, for making it the quality trailer that it was. Because I think you know, I, I played a lot of Age of Empires two, but I'd never really touched three. I remember vaguely that people were were disappointed in three maybe i'm wrong um you'd know better than i but age of empires 4 certainly seems to be ticking all the right boxes of modernizing the franchise while also keeping in with the the key elements that people want from from those original games and i think your reaction is in line with what the other fans of the franchise have sort of that i've read online so yeah i can definitely appreciate why that is a a highlight for you what about, about yourself, Luke? Uh, you're going to try Age of Empires 4, maybe on Xbox rather than... I think it's on Xbox, right? It's not just PC. I think you can 
play it on, I assume, with the controller this time around, which would be yeah, interesting in and of itself. <laughs> don't know if there is an Xbox version, but uh, I'll be interested to give it a try just maybe once or twice, because uh, it's not the kind of game I'm super into, but I did play a bunch of like the first and second games back in the day, so uh, it would just be kind of nice to try out a modern version of that to see what it's like. And it will be on Game Pass as well, so there's no... No reason not to try it. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Game Pass, actually, in general, for Microsoft is, uh, you know, the, I mean, every event seems to make that that subscription model better and better, and I think this year's E3 really just continued to highlight it. So many games on it, and when you consider all the first-party stuff that is announced, albeit a lot of them still CG trailers, and, and that's about it, um, but when they come out, if you're subscribed, you, you would definitely give them a whirl. But uh, yeah, Luke, we'll finish up with you with your final highlight, whether that's a, again, a moment, a game, uh, anything you really want to delve into. Yeah, so this wasn't shown during the direct or the live stream of Treehouse Live, but No More Heroes 3, after the direct and at some point during that day, they just uploaded a video of Treehouse Live, a pre-recorded segment of No More Heroes 3, and this is like the first in-depth look at the gameplay, and I really can't wait to play it. It looks incredibly fun, because I played No More Heroes 1 and 2 back on the Wii maybe five or six years ago, so like a long time after they came out, but I I really loved those. And then in, uh, I think it was December last year, they ported those to Switch, and I replayed them, and they're still really, really fun, especially the second one. But yeah, this third one just looks amazing. It really expanded things and added new features and just like the crazy story of these aliens coming and Travis Touchdown has to fight them and there's always these insane boss battles and really amusing story and characters and stuff. It's also coming out at the end of August, so it's not too far away. I'm really, really looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I mean, I played the originals when they launched on Wii, number one and two. I uh, couldn't get into Travis Strikes again. That was a bit too <laughs> different uh, and not great in my opinion, um, but really, really excited. Very surprised given how close it is to coming out that it wasn't in Treehouse or Direct or the Direct, but maybe that's because of how yeah, mature it, it is. It's a bit too violent and there was a bit too much coarse language for it to be in the actual Treehouse Live and Direct, I think. Yeah, that, that makes a bit of sense. Um, but yeah, ho- really hoping that Nintendo bump takes place and uh, people give it a shot because it's, uh, it, it's just a fun action slash hack and slash style game that I think lots of people like, but just for whatever reason, maybe just because it's so weird that no one really gave the original two games much of a shot outside of um, some of the more hardcore sort of Nintendo fans. So I'm really hoping it can find a a really big fan base with this three. Because, yeah, you're right, that trailer and that gameplay footage, which I think was honestly the first good look at gameplay we've gotten ever like there's been snippets but nothing this detailed yeah there's been bits of where suda 51 was standing in front of the screen while playing it um but yeah this is <laughs> this is our first proper look yeah i think that was a devolver digital last year which makes no sense because devolver's not <laughs> involved at all i don't think in this project but um he was in the credits for some reason standing in front of uh, a, a tv with no more heroes 3 on it for some reason but yeah i i agree i'm 
I'm very keen for that in a couple of weeks, and that trailer was great. Yeah, Brendan, what are you? Have you are you a No More Heroes fan, or is this just a? You, I'm guessing you own the first two, and you've just got them sitting <laughs> on the shelf somewhere at, at bare minimum. Yep. So I definitely owned one of them on the Wii. It was a birthday present from one of my mates back in the day, and I think it is the first one, though it might be the second one. Never touched it. I bought Travis Strikes again last year from EB Games when they were having a sale. There was a whole rigmarole over that in that I bought it was a new game, but it didn't have the DLC code in it, and there's a lot of back and forth with me and EB Games, and so it sort of soured me a bit. So I, I never played that either. So it's also on my backlog, but. I have to say, I like what I've seen so far of No More Heroes 3. I love the idea of Suda51 as well. I think characters like that in gaming are just so good. And there's so many good Japanese ones in particular, like Suda, like Hideo Kojima, like Hideki Kamiya, that you always just want them to succeed, even if you don't play their games, even if you don't love their games. It's just those characters make the hobby in many ways. And like Suda... I. I don't think he's really ever had that breakout game yet. Like, he's had a lot of games that people like. He's had a lot of games that people enjoyed and are memorable. But at the end of the day, I think his most successful game financially was Lollipop Chainsaw, which was quite an experience in itself. (laughs) I love that game. Fantastic individual, makes some absolutely zany games, and I wish him all the best and... I'll definitely be adding No More Heroes 3 to my backlog at some point. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's very true. I mean, there are so many games we could talk about, so many, maybe not so many moments. I think it was a light set of moments for E3, but I think that's a lot to do with, again, it all being pre-recorded. So no, bam, look at the Avatar shoe or anything like that this year. But if you haven't checked it out, I'm sure there's a lot of great articles summarizing the, the, the big points Listen to us, listen to other podcasts. I'm sure they'll give you rundowns. As Luke sort of touched on at the start, a bit of a shame there's no hands-on demos because I think that's probably the piece of E3 I am missing the most is we're not getting those really in-depth developer interviews and uh, lengthy sort of previews and podcasts like Giant Bomb's three or four-day sort of bender of just getting drunk on, on a couch with a bunch of industry people and talking about crap uh, is all sort of very, very different this year, but I'm sure there's no shortage of, uh, you know, recommendations of what you should look at, assuming you're not just going to sit down and watch a bunch of conferences uh, that are now recorded and available on YouTube, which is what we did at the uh, the very least. I guess we we just talked about highlights and I think we can't, you can't talk about highlights without talking about things that disappointed us, things that fell short. And I think ultimately... If I was to coalesce everything, because I, I said from the outset when we were discussing this episode idea that I was quite jaded with the E3 that's just passed. And yes, there was a lot of games I enjoyed. There was a lot of moments I enjoyed. But I think it just fell short ultimately because it was so disconnected because it just lacked those killer memorable moments overall. It just I felt like there was all these different small conferences, like these 10, 9, 10-minute conferences that sort of you'd miss if you weren't a absolute gaming nerd we missed out on all those on the coverage of e3 because part of e3 has always been the coverage of the show floor like you'd watch like easy allies you'd watch game trailers you'd watch giant bomb you'd watch random youtubers going around the floor playing demos doing recaps like after a day they had of playing five six games and you'd really feel like you're there even though you're not you really feel like you, you get a glimpse into 
the bleeding edge, the cutting edge of what's the latest and greatest in gaming. And for me, it just wasn't there this year. And I think ultimately part of it might be because, well, this is the first proper E3 that I've had a full-time job during. So I haven't been able to slack off. I haven't been able to (laughs) pull all-nighters and watch all the conferences live, which has always been one of the appeals and what really got me into E3 when I was in uni and had the ability to do that since I could sort of skip classes in the morning or turn up to a 1pm tutorial and have enough sleep the night before. So there's a variety of factors, but I think ultimately it was just a bit flat for me. And I think online format of it is really a detriment because yes, as observers that don't go there, yes, I know you've been there, Zach, as we discussed in episode (laughs) two of Blowing Cartridges. Fantastic episode. People should go back and listen to it. But it feels like we're there when it is an in-person event because you can see coverage made by people there. Whereas this time it just felt like a couple of videos went online. There were some live streams of events and a lot of them were pre-recorded and then, then that was that. And it just doesn't sit quite well for me personally. Yeah, I mean, to me, as I said, why well, I don't think the presentations were bad as a result. They were bad for other reasons and I can sort of get into that. Uh, not all of them, some of them, I should say. But I think, yeah, you're right. To me, what was mainly missing was the interconnectedness of the industry, right? Like, not just the stuff you were referring to, like watching Easy Allies do like a floor tour and interview people just randomly or things like that. But it was stuff like just seeing all these industry people sort of pop up in each other's content, you know, uh, whether it's PR, whether it's uh, just various outlets cross-pollinizing between each other and in various videos. I think that was missed a little bit because it was always kind of fun to see, like, I don't know, some of the executives uh, get sort of pulled aside randomly for an interview and those personalities sort of shine, right? People like Reggie and uh, others that sort of became famous over the years, I feel like they didn't get necessarily that. Obviously, the press conferences helped, don't get me wrong, but it was also the stuff outside the press conferences. It was, you know, I remember, you know, speaking of Jeff Keighley earlier, he had this sort of infamous back and forth rivalry with Reggie where every E3 they'd play some multiplayer game that was just announced at at Nintendo's conference uh, and they'd sort of keep a tally each year of who's winning the most points back and forth and stuff like that, which was always fun to watch uh, as you sort of, you know, recovered and absorbed the announcements from one day and then had the next two or three days of of coverage as people actually played these games and did interviews uh, to get as much detail as they could out of everyone. So I think that's definitely a quote-unquote low light that hopefully will be remedied by an in-person show whenever uh, those are viable in the U.S., how about yourself, Luke? What disappointed you this year about E3? <laughs> or do you, or do you think overall it was a good set of presentations? Were you overall satisfied with what you've seen in the last week? Yeah, I thought it was all pretty good. I, I can't really think of any significant disappointments other than we still don't know anything about Bayonetta 3, but <laughs> everything was good, or most of the press conferences or streams were enjoyable to watch. There was good news. Most of the games looked pretty good. So I can't really think of any significant disappointments. The The real disappointment was 2020 when we didn't have E3 at all. I think we can all agree with that. I think one thing I just want to flesh out on is there were some, let's be honest, crap presentation. And not in the Square Enix way where it was just like kind of funny, but at least some games were shown off and announced. 
Capcom Take Two and that Bandai Namco event basically just shouldn't have happened. Like they just were nothing events. Uh, and I did see somebody make a point that could just be because uh, a lot of these studios use E3 to communicate their stuff, but not necessarily via the show, like the a press conference, but via having a few trailers in other people's conferences, releasing some trailers on their YouTube, but then having a booth, right? Like a booth at the show, which reporters go through and do those interviews and whatnot and spread the word that way. And because there's no booth to do that kind of menial, like, oh yeah, here's DLC for the game that you were expecting there to be DLC, but wasn't sort of worth making a big show, song and dance about as a as a press conference. But they're sort of forced to now because they got to put something online to, to show this off because there's just no other method of doing it other than actually releasing a demo, which is in and of itself uh, a lot harder and has a lot more risk to it, if we're being honest, as we <laughs> saw with Final Fantasy Origins. It definitely was a disappointment uh, in that people got up thinking, oh yeah, Capcom, Street Fighter Fire, uh, 6, uh, you know, um, Zack and Wiki 2, all that kind of stuff, like, minds going crazy, then it was was next to nothing, really. So, I don't know if that's was one of your disappointments, Brendan or Luke, and I guess what your thoughts are, if that, that sort of logic as to why it might have occurred makes sense, or if I'm just making up excuses now for, for why they were so bad. Did you watch the Intellivision Amico primetime 10 minute slot <laughs> where they didn't show anything new at all? Oh, yes. Tommy Tellerico. <laughs> but he's so excited, Luke. He, <laughs> joy exudes from all his pores when he's talking about how great the Intellivision is. And what is it called? The Coleco. Yeah, no, the, the Coleco. Uh, Amico. I've just butchered this. But anyway, the Amico, yes. And. But it has wireless charging controllers. How can you beat that? And you can play Missile Command. Yeah. Don't forget to invest in the success of Amico. Invest in the success of Amico. And have you emailed? Have you emailed that email address to get to go into the running to get a <laughs> Earthworm Jim poster? No, I haven't. Oh, you're missing out, Luke. You're missing out. But I think you're definitely correct, um, you're definitely correct, Zach, and I think it it really goes to show that a key part of E3 is that in-person convention. It's a trade show. Like, that's what it is. It's A lot of it is not just for the spectators. A lot of it is just not for us. It's A lot of it is for developers and publishers to make connections, For same for media outlets to make connections, to to be able to cover these games. It's about, it, there's that networking element to it. Like even PAX has that networking element there for indie devs and the like. And I think the fact is that it was a digital only event. You remove that, then you remove a core fundamental portion of what E3 represents. And I think that is just detriment to the event. If I analyze why I'm a bit disappointed, if I analyze, in analyzing what makes me so sort of disappointed in what I saw over the last week, even though, definitely some things worth watching is that COVID has still clearly impacted video game development. Mm. It's really taken about two years out of things because as we saw last year, a lot of major releases got delayed. The back end of that release calendar was quite empty. And we've seen that overall carry into this year. Like, yes, part of it is the fact that two new consoles launched, but the fact is still both the Xbox Series X and the PS5 still lack a lot of exclusive games. A lot of them are still previous-gen ports for 
the PS4 and the Xbox One respectively. And there's a lot of cross-gen games as well. And I think the fact is that Sony was... Well, Sony was never going to show up at E3, but a lot of their major games aren't 2021 releases. And the same with Microsoft. We didn't see anything about Hellblade 2. We didn't see anything from Rare. We didn't see anything about Perfect Dark because the fact is a lot of those games we're not going to see until probably mid to late next year at the earliest. So I definitely think that you can't really overlook it because the only reason that it was an online event was because of COVID, but that there's still major impacts in game development itself that it's going to take a long time for that to normalize. Yeah, I think that's very true. And that's why we can't, it's not apples for apples, right? This isn't an attempt to turn a normal E3 online for the hell of it. It is out of necessity of covid and we're still reeling from COVID uh, in not just obviously the game development space, but in many other spaces as well. So uh, it's it's really hard to say, you know, say Microsoft or Nintendo had a good or a bad E3 because they, they obviously are hampered a bit by what they've been able to actually get done in the last year and a bit as they had that rocky transition to work from home, which I'm, I'm sure many of us can relate to in our own lives. And if you can't, I mean, I'm sure you've heard enough from friends or family who, who had to make that adjustment. If I can quickly, I do want to touch on one other thing, which was an interesting, uh, let's say, controversy of, of the show uh, before we, we maybe start to wrap things up. Uh, and that's Devolver Digital, because Devolver Digital have had these absurd events for quite a while now. And I think the general consensus is they're fun and we like them. Uh, at least I have for the past few years. And I actually did like the presentation this year. But their absurdness has started to really seep into their products in a way that it perhaps didn't as much in the past. Last year, I think that happened in quite a good way, where they made it a free-to-play digital E3 sort of show floor uh, you could play. And that was very cool, I I think. This year, we saw this interesting scenario where I'm just trying to find the name of the game. I don't know if either of you remember it but the uh game that is releasing via one of the various limited run game sort of copy companies special reserve games i believe yep special reserve games and they're releasing a game physical only in limited i assume limited quantities given their name i think it's limited quantities but the pre-order window is open for quite a while is my understanding like you can still go on the website and order it now. But I agree with you. It's just a bizarre thing because it's an NES-style game Was would be perfect for like a $5 eShop release. But they're like, no, we're just going to make this a physical-only game. If you don't buy it in this window, you're never going to be able to get a copy except on the resale market. It's exclusive to the Switch. Let's go. And like the game itself isn't really remarkable in any way, in my opinion, from looking at the trailer. I don't know if you thought it was the best things in sliced bread, Zach, but I, I wasn't convinced. No, just quickly, I found the name. It's called Death Throttle. Um, and no, yeah, the game could be very good. I don't know, but it, it definitely is very NES style, very, yeah, as you said, perfect for a 5 to $10 eShop game, uh, but made limited for reasons I can't think of much beyond FOMO and marketing. Um, I think the reason Devolver Digital has claimed to do it is because they feel it'll help it stand out uh, in a world crowded by thousands of independent games, which is, they're not wrong, I suppose, but it just feels like such a grimy way to do it. I mean, 
Uh, the whole point of I'm not a big fan. I, I kind of have mixed opinions of the limited run slash you know super rare slash whatever game sort of publishes because I'm happy they're making physical versions of all at all of games that would never get physical versions. I just don't like the FOMO element of them being so limited. But I think that unfortunately is a a necessity to their business model. But this is different because it, it, it's not like, oh, yeah, I'm a big Death Throttle fan. I want to own a, a copy to have on my shelf. This is, as you said, it's it's the only way. Uh, you know, I'm sure one day we can pirate it. But beyond that, it's the only legal way is is buying it from them now or, as you said, paying what I'm sure are going to be some exorbitant secondhand prices on eBay down the track. Uh, Luke, I know I think you're from memory a fan of the Devolver Digital presentations. I don't know what your thoughts were on on this particular um, stunt that, that they're pulling. Yes, you remember correctly. I love Devolver and their amazingly entertaining presentations. They showed a bunch of games. I wasn't really interested in any of them though, and this physical release um, did get me interested, but it's not really a game for me. But as for like those kind of limited releases, uh, I've got a few of them from Limited Run and uh, I Am 8-Bit. I don't really see the uh, problem with it really because they're not the sort of games they're gonna, that are going to sell millions anyway. So if you want the game, you're going to try and find a, a way to get it somehow. You might as well just pre-order it when you can and then you'll get it and then the game will be out and then... After a while, no one will care about it anymore, and then it's, it's done. <laughs> You're probably right. I imagine that there's not going to be a ton of people in five or six years going to be like, man, I really want to play Demon Throttle. Uh, and I've only just heard about it, and I now have to pay 2000 bucks on, e- on eBay. And I'm sure a lot of the hardcore collectors and preservationists are already got their pre-orders in. Notwithstanding, I don't think any of us do. I don't. <laughs> and it sounds like you don't either, Brendan. So clearly we're not hardcore enough to, to make that, that plunge. I don't know if there has been any real outrage on the internet. I haven't really seen anything on Twitter or the like, but I think the fact is that it's from a relatively unknown indie dev and there was no hype around the game to begin with anyway, that I think you're right. I think in a couple of years this will be a sort of forgotten game that collectors will have and people who bought into the hype of, oh, I have to buy it now, I'll never be able to get it, we'll have. But no one in five years is going to be talking about Devil's Throttle. Death Throttle? <laughs> Devil's Throttle? Devil's Throttle. Demon's Throttle? <laughs> Whatever it is. We, we, we don't need to keep talking. Someone's Throttle, yes. Well, not to... We don't want to end on a negative note. So if I can try... Let's, you know, look to the future. e is back next year, 2022 everyone's vaccinated or, or immune through means that they're happy with. We'll get into that debate. But yeah, E3's back. What what do you want to see next year? Had what What's your, your biggest hope? Not necessarily just like in a game announcement, but, you know, how, how maybe how you want to see the show run. Is there anything, as we sort of touched on, that you missed that you need to see sort of come back in some way or form, you know, that to really bring back E3, because we've sort of touched in our, in our previous episode, E3 has been struggling a little bit in the past few years as publishers have been pulling out. It needs a bit of a kick in the arm to sort of, a shot in the arm, sorry, to, to revitalize it. What do you want to see for that to happen sort of next year? Uh, so last weekend, before all the streams started happening, I rewatched the Xbox and Nintendo E3 events from 2019. And... 
with the Xbox One, it kind of reminded me uh, that like how things used to be before the virus, and there's just like <laughs> thousands of people packed into this uh, theater. So it's kind of gross to think about now. Um, so what I would kind of like to see next year is instead of going back to those big uh, theater-style shows, just do digital events like this year, but then uh, have an expo hall for just the media to go and like do hands-on mm-hmm. demos and stuff and go back to the kind of coverage we saw in previous years. So we still get like the digital events, and then afterwards we get like all the like game informer type people going to get hands-on. I echo that wholeheartedly. I, I very much think that it needs to go back to being a trade show. So I'm not against having live shows if it's mainly journalists in the audience, but I honestly think that the trend of E3 in recent years to become a sort of consumer event of where the general public can go as well and as a bit of a money maker for the ESA is the wrong direction for the event as a whole because as I keep on banging on about, it is a trade show at the end of the day. It is, it's an opportunity for companies to show their latest and greatest games. It's an opportunity for them to meet other developers and publishers. And it's an opportunity for the media to cover it in, then spread word of what's being presented, spread word of demos and the like, and what's coming out. I think that's the nature of what E3 is. And I think the trend to turning it into a PAX like event where everyone goes and they crowd LA downtown LA and, play games for a week is not what the event should be. And I think, well, I have no idea if this is true, but I think in many ways probably turns off a lot of publishers and the developers and the like who just think, well, we can just have our own events if we're big enough, if we're an EA, if we're a Sony, we can just do our own online event and have our a week to ourselves and we get the exact same amount of coverage and we don't have to put up with having swarms and swarms of people playing demos that in the past haven't really been for the general public because as you mentioned earlier Zach a lot of these demos aren't finished games a lot of them there's PR reps that have to tell people oh don't put that on Twitter don't put that in your video that part's still unfinished and I think that that it all goes together to build the event and I think it's definitely been going away from the core building blocks of it in recent E3s. Yeah, it's a hard, hard one because at the end of the day, uh, <laughs> companies or organizations need funding. They need money to do things. Uh, and I can appreciate ESA is is in need of money and ways of making it. And E3 is one of those ways, not only in selling the booths to the companies, but also uh, now, in, as you said, in more recent years, selling public tickets. I, I could live with a more... Gamescom TGS style structure where they have maybe the weekdays set for journalists and the industry people and then the weekend have an open up event for the public potentially as, as maybe one way to go. It might require, as you said, a bit of shaking up in terms of what demos get shown, but they sort of do that anyway. Like they're even at the closed journalism sort of e3s there's still stuff that's behind closed doors that only for you know certain outlets to get hands on because uh they're definitely you know the criteria of passing as a a journalist was pretty low uh, you know otherwise it would already be a much smaller show than it ever was so i think there's still ways to work around that if you need to but 
again, that doesn't really affect us because we're not, well, I don't have plans to go to LA anytime soon, and I'm sure you guys are the same. So whether it's public or not doesn't bother me, but I do think making sure the journalists and the media and the influencers or whatever they want to be called that are on Twitch that do do good coverage should get access to the games so that, um, as we said, we the fans can enjoy their takes and their extended looks at you know games we see during the, the digital shows. Uh, I agree. I'm happy for them also to all be digital. I don't think you need the live ones. Again, I think the actual editing and the format of stuff like Ubisoft and Xbox, who are new to the digital world, was it was quite good. I think they've got up to pace very, very well. Obviously, Nintendo, as I said, old hat. They've been doing directs for years, and they've they've mastered that format to a T almost. So they're, they're doing fine. Uh, and hopefully, and yeah, you know, not that they were there, but Sony and their digital events have been pretty well edited as well. Uh, Content-wise, have been a bit hit or miss every now and then, but that's that's the same with with every company. I think if I had to say, though, the one thing that I just need to see and hope to see is just that reuniting of as many companies as we can in that sort of week or even two-week time frame. You know, not that I'm like, you know, a big fan of Call of Duty, but it's weird that there was no Call of Duty. You know, like I'm so used to that big, weird, bang, bang, bang Call of Duty trailer every year, whether it was at Sony or Microsoft. It's weird not having EA. I mean, there's Battlefield, but that's about it. And it was weird, of course, not having PlayStation at all, uh, even though they'd pulled their presence back a little bit anyway in years prior. Um, I, I just hope that we can get to that point where most of the big players do something, even if they're not at the conference hall, even if it's not officially linked to EA, sorry, to E3. I just kind of want that week of the entire industry, you know, showing us what they got back because I think it's, just fun. It's you know, it's fun to have that week where maybe you do take a week off work, stay up ridiculous hours every night, and watch three or four sort of digital shows or conferences, and um, complain with your friends why the hell did I stay up at seven a.m. just to see um, what felt like a, a take two internal company meeting being broadcast <laughs> live for some reason, <laughs> or Tiger Woods playing golf with battleships in the background, as has happened in the past. Yeah. <laughs> But with that, we might uh, we might wrap it up here. Yeah, so if you think that we should do an episode based on diversity training, email us at blow, blowingcartridge at gmail.com or contact us on Twitter at blowcartpod. Dangerous thing to mention, Brendan, given our history of guests has been all male. <laughs> so uh, I'm sure diversity training is something somebody is going to bring up with us one day soon. <laughs> Just painted us into a hole. Despite our apparent lack of diversity, if you do like our podcast, <laughs> tell us on po- Apple Podcasts. Leave a review. Leave a five-star review. Tell your friends to listen to Blowing Cartridges. Tell your friends that they had a great episode on E3 and that it was a fantastic discussion and they should listen to it because that's how we grow as a podcast. That's how we keep on getting great guests like Luke on. That's how we keep on getting new guests on like hopefully a future guest on a future episode in the future. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yes. And if you want to follow us or you're someone who wants to guest and you want to reach out, uh, you can find us on Twitter, not only, as we said, at BlowCartPod and that on Facebook as well, but also at our personal Twitters, me at Egerino, E-G-G-E-R-I-N-O, and uh, 
Brendan at Tamazoid, T-A-M-A-Z-O-I-D. That is correct. It's not that bad. And Luke, uh, if people wanted to find you and you want to be found, that is, where where would people go to, to reach out? Yeah, so uh, you can probably find this better in the show notes, but at A-D-E-E-E-L-N-V on Twitter. But I also wanted to follow up on last time I was on the show back in September last year. Uh, we were talking about oh, game yeah. collections and my Engage collection and how it was almost complete. So a few months ago, I got the last Engage game that I needed to complete my retail collection, and that was Civilization. I found it on a Canadian game, uh, like a secondhand game shop on Facebook, and they were very nice enough for me to pay them lots of money and <laughs> send it over to me. So I now have all 55 retail games for the Engage, and on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash l-v-a-n-e-e-d-e there's a video with all of my engage collection um so you can check that out as well capitalism wins again and i can definitely recommend luke's youtube channel because he has some fantastic videos as well there's general videos on engage games he's done a few videos on there's a great video on xenoblade chronicles x there's some great wii u coverage as well so definitely give it a follow it's some great content on there yeah, watch my 3DS 10th anniversary video. I put a huge amount of effort into that and even made a version viewable in 3D on the 3DS. Wow, that is impressive. Definitely give it... I've watched it not on my 3DS, I must say, but I watched it on normal 2D. We call it 2D visuals, I guess so. Yeah, I've watched it in 2D and yeah. it's great. So <laughs> I'm sure all the 3D version is fantastic as well. Yeah, well, thanks for having me back on as a guest for this E3 episode. It's been good. No worries. We'll have you back on again when Microsoft announced the Xbox Engage uh, as, a, as a new product next year. Like Xbox Series N or whatever they'll call it, given they know, I think Microsoft owns Nokia, don't they? What do they sell them? I'm, I'm, I've lost track. But yeah, thanks for joining us. Uh, and for everyone else, as you know, Brendan said, we'll have an episode soon about something, hopefully with another guest. So stay tuned. Subscribe, like all those kind of things. And until then, E3 hype train! Woo! Chaos must be defeated. I'm here to kill chaos.